1: This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Sombra Mezcal. Sombra Mezcal, where they've reimagined the entire process of making Mezcal to reduce the impact on the environment. How do they do that? I guess you'll just have to stick around to the end of this episode to find out. In the meantime, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And Chava, I want to officially welcome you to Season 2 of Agave Road Trip. Woohoo! Season 2 coming together. This is, as I like to think of it, the pandemic season, Chava. Yeah, because...
2: Unfortunately, we're both locked indoors, and uh, we cannot go road tripping, which is the whole concept about this show. But it made us do something different, right? Because we couldn't go out, it made us look inside—not inside ourselves.
1: <laughs> I don't—I don't do a lot of reflection, Shava, So don't yeah, no, don't push no, no, that, that don't that. push that
2: analogy too far. I'm sure that's a very direct place, but it made us look to a lot of things <laughs> that we had a look at that we already had there, interviews, other trips we have done. And it also made us ask ourselves many questions about the GABA spirits, right? And
1: some of them are a little bit thorny. And I think you're to transition way too soon. I think you could just say all we're doing is we've got hundreds of hours of interviews. We plumb those interviews, and we're putting together episodes based on that. But we also figured out we've got, if you and I can do this recording the way that we're doing it, you in Mexico City, me in Chicago, if we can do this this way, and then marry the tape back in the studio with Roy. We can also make phone calls, and we can get we can get new interviews without actually jumping in a vehicle or on a plane. Which is
2: not as fun and it's definitely imperfect because we don't happen to be in the place and we don't get the chance to ask things we didn't know. Because we're looking at them, right? So this is not the preferred way, but still works in a way. <laughs>
1: it still works. I think, <laughs> in fact, what we're going to talk about specifically in this first episode of season two, I think, is an example of how it can be perfect. Really, we didn't. Ha- yes. So I want I want to talk about our interview with David Suro, David David Suro. When I think of agave royalty, um, obviously, I think of all of the men and women who make the agave spirits. But but David, in terms of people who don't make, like I, there's there's there are very few people I look up to as much as David, right? Really, why is that specifically? I, I I've met David
2: very briefly. I got an amazing vibe from him, but it seems like you've been in contact with
1: him for many years now, right? Yeah. So his knowledge of agave spirits across the spectrum of Mexico is broad and deep. His knowledge of tequila. Is so broad and so deep, and he's been retailing. He's been running a restaurant in Philadelphia for, ah, oh God, I want to say, and he said it to us in the interview. I think it's like thirty years. He's been running this high end tequila restaurant, and when I say tequila restaurant, I think it's I think it's literally called tequila. Um, tequilas, yeah, yeah, tequilas, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a really high end Mexican restaurant, and he started. <laughs> decades ago, before people were doing high-end Mexican restaurants, and he he has always had on his list these beautiful tequilas. And you know, while while the market itself for tequila tends to be mixed between high-end stuff and low-end stuff, he's never gone. He won't have the low-end stuff in his place.
2: And why do you think of that? Like, why why do you, why does he refuse to have the lower end, like the Cuervo?
1: Quotable- yeah, you know, I think that actually brings us to the whole point that we call David, um, right? I, I wanted to have a conversation about mixtos. So, you know, tequila, when you hear tequila, tequila is always made from Blue Weber agave, right? But there's two kinds of tequila. One, the label will say 100% Blue Weber or 100% agave or 100% agave, Blue Weber agave, something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of those variations, right. But then if it doesn't say that, if it just says tequila, then it could be 100% Blue Weber Agave, though probably not. Um, but it, it generally means that it's a mixto. And a mixto can be 50, the sugars that were used to ferment the tapache that was distilled into the tequila, um, the sugars. 51% of them had to come from, at least 51% had to come from agave. And the other 49% can come from any other sugar source except from an agave. Oh, really? Like you can throw just like syrup. Like if you, if you had maple syrup, you can throw it in there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, though, maple syrup is not going to be as fermentable, say, as a, as a corn syrup or as sugar, and, sugar cane. And does it have to be Mexican? Is the
2: syrup that's going in there has to be grown in Mexico, or say no. you can go and like fish around the world? And if someone in China is making some syrup that they had left over and they want to like sell it for chips, you can use that. Exactly.
1: Yes, you can. And you're getting um, like you're. I know what you're doing. You are <laughs> you are setting up your argument. You're setting. You're not setting up your argument. You're setting up David's argument, which you know I think is the pertinent point here, right? So we reached out to him because. I honestly do not have a problem with mixtos, and yet the uh, the marketplace, all the gringo bartenders, I shouldn't say all, a lot of the gringo bartenders who listen to Agave Road Trip definitely have a negative view of mixtos. Why Why is that? Why is the negative view of mixtos? That's the whole reason we did the interview with David. Is <laughs> a guy who runs an organization called Sacred. Uh, It is an acronym that says Saving Agave for Culture, Recreation, Education, and Development. (laughs) Sacred Agave, right? Um, I I certainly meet a lot of people who work in the industry who have a view of the agave as a very special plant. And I think it's a special plant. But I have a hard time condemning mixtos. Okay, so let's just
2: open the picture in a way. I would love to roll in uh, a quote we have of David. Saying or echoing what I'm saying about just what wh- what is the consequence about the fact that you can bring any syrup from around the planet?
3: From the denomination the of origin perspective, uh, I think the category of mixto it makes absolutely zero sense to me. Um, I don't disagree with like, okay, we're gonna have a spirit um, that use agave tequilana weber and 49% of other sugars call it differently, but don't incorporate it into a denomination of origin because I find fascinated, and, and I don't see this, I don't see this sarcastically. I just find fascinated that if we make such a big deal about the agave tequilana, wherever should be the only agave used in the denomination of origin of tequila for the the tequila production, you know, that's a big deal. That's you know, we we have the the way we sing that note. is like the higher notes when tequileros talk about the denomination of origin, agave tequilana Weber. You know, I see the Nesundorma Dorma Pavarotti. You know, hitting the higher notes, tequilana Weber. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> still use agave tequilana Weber and the Word tequila in a spirit that basically half of it is produced with a raw material that is absolutely no regulations to trace the origin. We can use corn syrup from Arkansas, sugar cane from Haiti. Uh, you know, all kind of sweeteners that it goes into a product that is protected by a denomination of origin. The other big thing about this mixed category is that, uh, as you know, you cannot verify that product the minute that it's driving out of the boundaries of the denomination of origin. And there is no chemical or scientific test to prove if, the blend of other sugars is within the regulations.
1: Okay. So, you know, again, David Soro, I, 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 I love him and I appreciate him. I even, I would say that he's far wiser and smarter than I am. Um, and so I am reluctant to, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you finally agree with me on something Java, but you know, I, I have to say, I don't think he's got the, f- now, he definitely has the full picture. He and I, I think, have the same appreciation uh, for Mexico, and we're we're approaching it from different angles. I would contend that what he says in that quote, in essence, is all money should go to Mexico. And if, if it's not, then it's not helping Mexico. And I would actually suggest that you've got different factors at play here, one of which is we've got a Blue Weber agave um, uh, uh, population in the – In in Jalisco, where you can legally make tequila, right, that is at risk. And he's brought this up himself multiple times. And it's at risk because the space in which you can grow it is limited. And therefore, every plant is harvested. um, And I shouldn't say every. The vast majority of plants are not allowed to go to seed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Like Blue Weber, we've talked about like 75 85% of it all comes from one mother which makes it a a less diverse population which makes it at risk of any kind of blight coming in so if the blue weber is that precious and is that at risk why not use other sugars and if those sugars come from other places well you've got you've got you've got consumer demand around the world for more tequila And it's so often consumed in a margarita where you really aren't going to be tasting. And I'm not saying every margarita. I mean, you know, again, every margarita is bad and you can't taste the tequila. But I am saying that if you go to TGI Fridays and you get a margarita... Do you really want to waste that beautiful blue agave on somebody who's going to just be tasting syrup and maybe a little triple sec? Well, I, I think what makes the huge
2: difference in the, all these discussions is that tequila, it's a denomination of origin product.
1: It's not just any product, right? It's not. It's Yes. And denomination of origin, if it were actually protecting heritage here, I would be 100% in agreement with David. But it's not. And it hasn't for years. Yes, yes. How many tequilas are made in a heritage way? David actually produces, well, he doesn't produce it. He brings to market a heritage, what I would call a heritage tequila. And there aren't a lot of them being made. When you think about how, if you randomly place your hand on one out of 100 bottles of mezcal, the likelihood is you're going to put your hand on something that was handmade at least in 75% of the process, if not 100% and then you randomly put your hand on, you've got a hundred bottles of tequila, randomly put your hand on one of them. The chances of you hitting something industrial are a hundred percent industrially made are significantly higher than touching anything that was made even the least bit by hand. So the the denomination of origin does not protect tequila, the heritage of tequila. Well, it it doesn't in many ways. And I think that
2: the really cool thing that David is trying to suggest is that it's an imperfect system and that, it needs to be, to get better. I mean, in the moment where tequila was made and this dimension of origins were established it was a very different world that we have today. Mm-hmm. Thank the Lord people today are asking more questions about the products. And if they're buying something that supposedly is part of a culture, supposedly is talking about the terroir and the environment and the biosphere of a certain place, they, I think we're getting more picky about if, if, it, if it's true, if that tequila is really talking about Jalisco. And I think that the brilliant thing that David is trying to suggest is that if the rules have to change for tequila making in many ways, not only in Mixto, if it's being able to be bottled in Mexico or the United States, it has so many imperfect parts to it. But if we're going to take a route, if we're going to take a direction, I think the really cool thing is mezcal... In a way, can be a source of a lot of inspiration and being like, okay, let's make this tiny little change. Let's not be able to buy syrup from whatever the hell I want. At least let it be sugarcane, Mexican sugarcane. And then it is more, it is closer to talk about Jalisco. And then maybe the next step in 25 years is, you know what? No more sugar cane into the tequila, and then in fifty years maybe it's no more industrial <laughs> tequila. Yeah, you <know>, like so. <laughs>
1: so you're saying baby steps is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. But but, but God, you know, can we actually let's run, I, And I know this is gonna put us over. Um, the the twelve to, to fifteen minute max, including everything, right? But I like he. There's another quote from David that I really love that I think speaks to exactly what you're saying. It said thirty four minutes and thirty eight seconds. Um, so let's let's just let's roll that.
3: You know, at one point when when tequila and mezcal became popular and the one hundred percent agave tequilas became the thing, uh, bartenders and programs were paying for it. You know, and they were using that they were very proud to use high-end, meaning prices above what now we see the people paying. You know, and what tequila did, you know, a lot of brands they bastardized themselves. I mean, I see brands that they used to be, you know, they were charging a pretty fair amount of money for their craft. And then they are now, you know, in the low teens selling a bottle. I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, that is a prostitution in the market. You know, you give up and you find that the only way that you can bring the attention to a consumer and to become part of a program, of of a decent program, you have to bring down the price, you know. I say, you know, you have to put the mini scare in the high heels. You know, we are a very good example. 33 years in business, a restaurant with the name Tequilas, a program that is focused in quality, ethics, transparency, and is capable to make money. It is capable to sustain 50 families to depend on this restaurant. You know, and I go to bed at night and I sleep very comfortable because I don't have to prostitute my program. In order to make extra money, you know, it is obviously you know I, I, I'm a wacko who thinks these radical things, but but it works. It makes it makes economical sense.
1: Okay, so that like that to me boils down uh, what you're saying in in a beautifully illustrative way, right? And and I don't disagree with any of that. The piece that I just don't. Uh, that I can't swallow is that at any point the Mexican government is going to turn around and say, Hey, you know what? Our heritage is really important. Let's, let's stop doing this. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think if you could move mixtos to where they had to use ingredients within Mexico, great. I'm cool with that. Do I think that mixtos will ever disappear? No. Do I think that they should disappear again? I, I, unless you're going to start making tequila everywhere, within Mexico, I don't think you can kill mixtos because if you kill mixtos, I think you end up killing the Blue Weber population that's in that limited area where you can make tequila.
2: Well, and maybe the answer is you don't need to make this crazy amount of tequila. Maybe you have to rephrase the volume. And I I know this might become a bigger conversation sustainability-wise, but I will claim that maybe doing less tequila better quality that sticks only to Blue bever, it's going to create more money because you're going to be selling more expensive bottles. It's going to create less abuse to the environment in in, an, in a very large scale because you have less syrup traveling around the world and then traveling back to America. You know, like say you bought, bought the syrup in Kansas, travel to Mexico, then travels back to the US. So I think that a lot of these changes, I, I think... I mean I I wanna say that mixto is the most horrible thing that has happened, but I think that if one sees mixto as an example of many of the mistakes that industrial systems fall into from a sustainability, social and economical point of view, I think it, it it's a classic example of something that it's maybe not a catastrophe,
1: but that could be a lot better in, in many, many ways. You know, I I, I hear what you're saying and I, I, my, my my initial um, desire is to argue the point that the vast majority of the consuming public eats McDonald's. The vast majority of the, of the consuming public has very uh, uh, smooth... They, they want to taste things that are smooth and simple and easy. And well, mixtos are smooth and simple. Hang, hang on, hang on. <laughs> like your, your point that... If there were only great and beautiful handmade tequilas that the market would buy that instead, Um, I want to say, my desire is to say that that is inaccurate, Um, not only because the price point goes up, but also because the flavor gets too complex for the average consumer. Now, having said that, the last time I looked at export numbers for tequila, the super premium category was actually rising faster than the mixto category. Like All tequila, the the sales on tequila over the last, I don't know, decade have grown exponentially, Um, but it's primarily being led by the super premium category. So you may not be wrong, but on the other hand, everything I know about the super premium category uh, is that it's made primarily industrially. Like it's not David's what I would call soup, like he is making super premium. Um, but most super premium, like I think of the is it Casa Dragones where, yeah. where they're yeah, actually yeah, yeah. like they they <laughs> they filter. Is it a is it a diffuser
2: made tequila? Do you know? Uh, I I just know it tastes like like
1: whatever, like blah. But they have great marketing. That's well, that's, a beautiful bottle. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's sort of my point is like there clearly is still space or room in the market for higher prices. But people don't seem to be connecting the higher prices to the more complex flavors. And I would contend that the more complex flavors come with the less industrially industrial process for making the spirit.
2: Yes, and I think one of the other things that David said that uh and in a big way that's why we're doing this podcast, he said, What can change this? The one thing that can completely change this panorama is education, education, education. Education in the producers, education in the commercializers, not to prostitute the product, and education on the consumers to know what's the really complex, accurate like I know that talking about quality is a very thorny thing, but let's talk about accuracy. Is this spirit telling... Yeah, I'm the, sorry, talk about ac- accuracy? Accuracy. Thanks for my my, yeah. my, my accent. But like, is, no, no. is this spirit accurate in telling me something
1: about this place that I don't know? I, right? I, you know, I, I get that. And it's certainly where my heart is with these spirits, and it's why I actually don't drink a lot of tequila, because I don't think it does do that. But I think the vast majority of the consuming public, at least in the USA, and I would be willing to bet around the world, wants to go have their TGI Friday margarita. Yeah, but I'll, I'll bring an example that I love, and it's
2: huitlacoche. You know what huitlacoche is, right? It's a, it's <laughs> of
1: course it's I do. It's, the, mush, it's, the, mushroom, it's a, the mushroom from the corn, corn smut. It, it's a mushroom that grows in the corn. It looks crazy. Right, it mm-hmm. it looks like mm-hmm. some biomolecular
2: high end cuisine that someone, and it's eaten in every market of Mexico. So people w- like with absolutely no, and it's a crazy elaborate complex flavor. Mm-hmm. But because it has been around and people have been in touch with it for so long, their palates have evolved or or have been able to process this and appreciate the craziness and beauty that is there. I think. The problem is when you don't have the option, when you don't have the choice. And I could agree with you, but I also think if you have access to something more
1: delicious, you're going to go for it. Oh, no. I I completely <laughs> disagree with that. You know, I, I did a tasting at uh, Tales of the Cocktail, the, uh, the, the, the largest trade show for bartenders in the country. Did a tasting at uh, the 2019 Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. Um, for a room full of uh, bartenders and cocktail aficionados. And uh, one of the people in attendance there, uh, I I, I poured 10 mezcals, right? And the point was to pour a spectrum of mezcals, literally going from uh, diffuser-made mezcal from Zignum, right? All the way up to uh, ancestrally made mezcal from Lalo Anales and everything in between. And at the end of the tasting this woman uh, came running over to me and she made a huge donation to uh, to Sacred to help continue our 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 fight to replant agave and to help rural communities uh, improve the quality of life so in Mexico. So she gave me a really big donation, one of the largest donations that I've received from an individual and we got on the phone a week or so later, and she was telling me that she was embarrassed to say so, but her favorite of the Mezcals was the Zignum. This is not somebody who, like, she's got money clearly because she gave a bunch to me, or to Sacred anyway, and she's not somebody who doesn't know spirits. She drinks all the time. She was at Tales of the Cocktail. She she preferred the Zignum, this smooth, industrially made
2: spirit. Yeah, but then, I mean, and I can speculate, I, I think it's a good example, but I will also speculate that probably her experience at Gavi Spirits was not very best. She was probably just starting. So I think that what happens is that a lot of times people are more susceptible to like something that is closer to the vicinity of the things that they know. But but then it's like, it's like the first time you travel, Right. Like if you go to a place that is drastically different to where you come from, you might get traumatized and hate traveling for the rest of your life. So you do be baby steps, and then suddenly, fifteen years later, you can go to this place that it's crazy, and you can you can survive it, and you can like it. So it it, it doesn't come without work. I'm not saying like the Holy Spirit comes down and enlightens people to understand and appreciate these very dif- like difficult. They're difficult to taste. They're difficult to understand things. What I'm saying is, we need to find a way for that process to happen. Because my problem is that that's not what that is not the thing that is pushed the most. What what is being pushed the most is just like you like McDonald's, keep on eating your McDonald's. That's it. That's reality.
1: That's how we should go. Oh, I think that's unfair. Like you're saying, what is pushed the most, and certainly McDonald's is pushing McDonald's the most. That's that's fair, but in this context, as we're talking about uh, agave spirits, as we're talking about tequilas, we're talking about mezcal, um, destilado de agave, you know, I I don't think it's fair to say that's what's being pushed most. I think. Even though that would be true if you're in a TGI Fridays, if you again go to David's restaurant in Philadelphia tequilas, it's not being pushed at all. And I think How I many think tequilas are there in in America. Like he's a very unique place. Like he
2: owns a very unique
1: place. Oh, there's not. Oh no, th- no th- there's not no a bunch no, of places like his. No, no <laughs> argument. But I guarantee you, you go into random bars in the I, I do this in Chicago, random bars in, in all over all over the country. Here, there are going to be people who move you from your, your Jose Cuervo margarita to drinking something better. They're going to say, hey, if you like this this margarita made with Jose Cuervo, can I give you a taste of this, I, I don't know, tequila brand, Fortaleza, can I give you a taste <laughs> of this, for, or tequila Ocho, you know what, like I love a tequila Ocho, and I'll drink that neat. I, I guarantee you there are bartenders everywhere who do that because they – just like you and just like me want to see more people drinking better agave spirits that have a greater impact. And this I think is the whole point. They want to see more people drinking better agave spirits that have a bigger impact on the rural communities of Mexico that we love so much. And that's what David wants. And that's what you want. That's what I want. That's what these bartenders want. Um, I just think we have very different views as to how we're going to get there. And I think frankly, Mixto helps us get there.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's such a vast and complex question, and if there was a straight answer, somebody will have already done this, right? Because there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, I I just I don't know. Like I I think it's also absolutely unfair that there's one thing that you fix it is going to fix the whole
1: picture, right? Uh, that's that's true. That yes, there's never one solution.
2: And but again, yeah. I think it's also important to identify which are the problematic elements. Hmm. And try to find solutions about them. So I, I, I will absolutely characterize mixto as something that could be problematic from a production, social, economical, environmental point of view, and that might need a little bit of help. You know, it just it just needs to, to become better. To, ah. to For the original ah. way that it I, – I, I think so. It, it drastically needs to get better.
1: <laughs> you know, I and I think maybe the fact that there is Stow has inflated sales of tequila in a way that still sends money down to Mexico that wouldn't have gone there otherwise. I and think that's why
2: you cannot characterize it as the most catastro-
1: catastrophic thing that has happened. That's why – that, it's messy. It's swampy. <laughs> so, okay. So, I you know, we've gone way over on this episode. We knew we were going to because – David Surro, um, I, I think um, I think we should run some of the additional like if you if this conversation has interested you enough in mixtos, um, we should put more of the conversation we have with David up on the website as a link, um, and we're definitely going to have links to uh, to David's restaurant on there. And uh, yeah, I just want to add one thing that I find
2: fascinating: we did not talk about taste at all. <laughs> <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, we did not. And I love that. No, yes, we did. Because I guess, no, we did too. Because well, I
1: said smooth. It's, yeah, inof- yeah. Like it's inoffensive. But, but, we did talk. But
2: what I want to say is that we are not saying that mixtos taste bad. There are some really decent mixtos out there. But that's not the point. The point is not if they taste bad or not. I think the point is so much more of the other things that we talked about. And I, I just want to add that because people will say like, well, if you're doing something that tastes good, well,
1: why would you care about everything else? Oh. Huh. yeah, that's, that's that's fair. You know what? But you you reminded me of the the one thing I want to add too to this episode. I want some tequila like you can't use 51% has to be Blue Weber. 49% can be anything else except another agave. You can't use another agave, right? Okay. That's that's the rules. But no nothing in the written rules says you can't use Sotol. I want somebody who has a tequila company. David, I know you're at least listening to this episode. I want somebody to make a mixto that is Blue Weber mixed with, with Sotol. Yes. It'll, it'll be incredibly expensive, but I would love to drink that with pleasure. Okay, Road Trippers, thank you for joining us for the start of Season 2. And we'll catch up with you. In, in, well, I, I guess either in a week or in a moment, depending on how you're listening to this. Adios. Adios. This episode of Agave Road Trip has been brought to you by Sombra Mezcal. Sombra is an artisanal 100% Espadina Agave Mezcal handcrafted in Oaxaca. Each step of production, from fermentation to distillation, has been reimagined to reduce its environmental impact. So one of those elements, one of those steps, Chava, is the milling of the agave. Tell me how they mill their agave at Sombra. Well, you might
2: know that Oaxaca is famous for being built with beautiful limestone, right? You go there and the churches are green and pink and beautiful. Oh. And a lot of that limestone comes from Mitla, which is like an hour away and it's very close to Matatlan, where they make this mezcal. So the Sombra guys went to Mitla, found one of these beautiful pink stones and chose it to mill their agave. And the result, it's a wonderfully milled, slightly infused with the you know tiny bits of salts and minerals of the stone agave, and I just real love it.
1: You know, I do too. And the other thing I find fascinating about it is that whereas I'm used to seeing uh, animals pulling uh, tojonas at the Palenque for sombra, instead they've got a little, a little like I don't what would you call it, like a little engine. Well,
2: yeah, it's, it's it's like a little cart. A little cart connected to an engine that pulls the taona round and round and round. And this is a very delicate process because if you motorize this taona with a gas engine, you'll have all those fumes flying around. Right, Lou? Oh, yeah. And you will affect your fermentation, affect everything. So what they decided is to go electric. And not only electric, they decided to go solar so they took advantage of this sun that it's always available in Oaxaca,
1: and that's what pulls that little town. Ah, solar-powered tahona for milling the agave. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Chava. If you want to try that, uh, that Sombra Mezcal, you can just go to sombramezcal.com, and you can order a bottle to be delivered to your home.
2: This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bang and Chava Perivan. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at gabrielroadtrip.net. Distributed by Heritage Radio Network, the best network in the world for podcasts about food,
1: drink, and agriculture. Hang on, Road Trippers, we're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chatfest coming up. So welcome, Road Trippers, to Chava's and Lou
2: Chat Fest. Probably the best part of our podcast if we didn't have the other part of the podcast.
1: <laughs> That's right. This is a podcast within a podcast that has nothing to do with agave, agave spirits, or rural Mexico. So what does it have to do with Chava? Today we're going to talk
2: about the punk band I used to have in Oaxaca called Violencia Tlacuache, which roughly translates to "violent possum." Violent possum. Say the name again. Uh, Violencia Tlacuache.
1: Oh, that's lovely.
2: So tell me about your punk band, Chava. So as you know, I re- I'm very fond of dancing, and one day I was dancing in a, I guess it was it was a punk show, and I was I had a McAllen bottle in one hand. And uh, Macallan Scotch. Yes, correct. So I was dancing with a Macallan bottle, and I slipped.
1: <laughs> Were you hoping that you might be able to take the bottle home with you? You thought if you impressed it with your dancing, it might come home with you? Well, it was just a Macallan 12, so there was not a lot of impressing involved. But uh, And a little young, I might add.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I slipped down, and I... Cracked my head open and uh, I whoa, started... whoa whoa seriously yeah 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 I slipped and I, I I it was a very rocky area so I had like a little piece of rock in on my forehead uh, I slipped in a funny way and uh, so people came across helped me out like cleaned me a little bit but I was having a lot of fun so I kept on dancing covered in blood and these <laughs> oh like God. twenty year like <laughs> so these kids c- came to me and were like hey 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 uh, Would you like to sing in a punk band?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just based on the fact that you're covered in blood, they figure that's our guy.
2: Yeah. And I said, yes. And I started practicing with them once a week in a rather isolated house in the middle, uh, well, in the outskirts of Oaxaca. And yeah, we had a. We had we we were active for a year we actually recorded stuff and uh if you allow me uh Mr Lou I would love to put a snippet of, of that into this podcast I think well, let's
1: just let's just play the snippet and uh, that'll close out this episode but when we come back for the next Java and Lou chat fest I'll tell you about my
2: gig singing oh I, I I'm very terrified of it but okay Uh, I'll comply. Why not? Just choose my story. I'll stand yours.
1: (laughs) Okay. Rock on, Chava. Adios. (laughs)